0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this morning, we have two readings together. I would invite you to turn first to the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 9. We'll read the verses 9 through 13. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And if you would, turn to the Old Testament, to Psalm 51, where we hear David speaking about much the same thing as our Lord Jesus. Psalm 51, and we'll read the verses 10 through 19. "'Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness.' O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The text for our sermon this morning is from the prophecies of Amos chapter four. We'll read the verses four and five. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites. For this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does true worship look like? What does true worship look like? That seems like a good question to ask on a Sunday morning, doesn't it? As we're gathered here together for worship, After all, is that not the reason why we have come here? To worship the Lord our God. So what does it look like? It's not only an important question because we're all gathered here as the Church of Christ to worship God. It's not only because we're gathered here, but it's also critical because... It speaks about the most fundamental and important part of our lives. Our our life. As a human being and and certainly as a Christian. That is our relationship to God. Worship is the outflowing of that relationship with our, our covenant God. Well, Amos in our text this morning speaks about worship. But he's not talking about true worship. Either he's showing us what false worship looks like. what a great contrast is that when we compare that to what we are doing here this morning. We see the great difference between what the Israelites were doing and what we are doing here this morning as we gather around God's Word and our Lord's table. Because as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning, we are drawn to true worship. As we're called to lift up our hearts on high where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. As we're called to embrace the Lord's promises to us, as symbolized in the bread and wine by faith. As we're called to put off our old nature with its desires and to cling to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As we're called to feed on His body and blood, which is life for our souls. And that is indeed we find a life, and life to the fullest in Him. Brothers and sisters, as we gather here this morning, we gather here for worship, true worship. And so we'll see this morning the false worship that's ridiculed by Amos. And then in stark contrast to that, we'll see the true worship as given in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about true worship. That's what Amos is ridiculing that the Israelites were doing. But it's what we do in Christ our Lord. You see in our text here, the first couple sentences, go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin yet more. That word for sin is you may remember from last week, the same word for sin that was used in chapter 1, a word that really speaks about rebellion. Rebellion. All the nations in the world were were accused and convicted of their rebellion against the Lord. And so here the Israelites are again accused of the same thing, but it's even worse than before. It's, it's rebellion and even gross rebellion. There was something in what the Israelites were doing that is worthy of being called gross Rebellion against the Lord Almighty. They were rebelling against His rule, His almighty care and power in their life. They were breaking their relationship with the Lord, not just breaking it, but breaking it in a gross manner. That source of life and blessing. They were cutting it off. So what is it? What is it that the Israelites were doing that's... Worthy of being called gross rebellion. Well, it says in verse 4 that they were performing sacrifices in a manner far beyond what they were required to do. Look at what it says in verse 4. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Your tithes every three years. And actually, if you look in the at the footnote in the NIV there, you'll see that you could read tithes on the third day. And that seems to be more what the original is talking about. Not every three years, but every three days, they were bringing their tithes. Well, sacrifices every morning, that was far more frequently than the law prescribed. And tithes every three days, that was way beyond what the law described. The law said in Deuteronomy 14 verse 28 that they were to bring it every three years. But the word here in this, in our text is, Quite clearly, every three days. Well, at first, it doesn't make any sense to us, does it? How can giving more to the Lord be a bad thing? You would think that if Amos was really going to ridicule the people of God for their worship, he wouldn't pick out the fact that they're doing far more than they really ought to be. Can you imagine being disciplined because you're giving too much to the poor? Can you imagine being rebuked because you give too much to the church, or because you attend the the worship services altogether too often, or because you pray too much? It almost sounds absurd. So, why is it wrong? Why is Amos taking the people of God to task about their worship in this way? Well, it is for this reason. Because they were very much focused on the outward act of worship without paying any attention, in fact, ignoring the heart of the matter. And that is love for God and love for their neighbor. You see, worship for them was all about the outward act. And it wasn't about that true heart of love and devotion for God. It wasn't about mercy to sinners. It wasn't about caring for the poor and the oppressed. In fact, that was made clear by their actions towards the poor. We read about that at the beginning of chapter 4. Hear this, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you woman who oppress the poor and crush the needy. These people were all about the sacrifice and not at all about the mercy. That's far different from what we read in Psalm 51, isn't it? You delight in sacrifice. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A contrite heart, O oh Lord, you will not despise. Or what the, what our Lord said in Matthew 9, that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because I've called to come, not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see the connection there between the sacrifice and the righteous and the mercy and the sinners. You see, the problem isn't really with the sacrifice itself. The problem really wasn't that they were sacrificing too much, but rather the lack of mercy shown in their hearts and in their lives. If you perform all your religious acts without love for sinners, then you show what you really think of yourself. You don't really think that you are a sinner. You think you're all right. You don't do your sacrifices to God in in complete dependence upon Him. But you do it because you want to show off how good you are. You want everyone else to see you are the righteous, not the sinner. Well, how different isn't that from what we are gathered here to do this morning? Because in the Lord's Supper, we're not concerned with the outward act. We're not so much concerned with what we're doing, but our attention is so much on what's symbolized, that our Lord Jesus has shown his love for us in giving his body on the cross, shedding his blood for us. Our act of worship in eating the bread and drinking the wine is no outward show of our goodness. How, how can it be? But it's rather a testimony to our weakness, but to God's power, to save, and to His love for us. And this love is the love that stirs up our hearts and leads us to worship Him. After being reminded of Christ's love and faithfulness to us, how can we not respond in love? After eating the bread, His body, and drinking the wine, His blood, poured out for us, how can we not worship God from the bottom of our hearts? And at the same time, as, as love for God is stirred up in our hearts when we realize, when we embrace what He's done for us, it also overflows to each other as well. We experience love and communion with each other because we come to the Lord only for the sake of Christ. All of us together, united in Christ, And so we share this meal together as his body, united in him. And so our faith is strengthened and our love grows as we take the Lord's Supper together. While the Israelites were also doing other things wrong in their worship, verse 5, they burned leavened bread as a thank offering. They burned leavened bread as a thank offering. Bread, as prescribed by the Lord, it was very clear in His law, was not to be burned. It was put quite simply. See, the problem with this action wasn't really in in what they were doing, necessarily, but just the fact that they were breaking God's law. God had prescribed that the bread wouldn't be burned so that the priests could eat of it. That's how they received their, their nourishment, their daily bread from the Lord. And so... God had commanded the people not to burn the bread, but they were doing that. They just ignored his law and thought, well, we'll do it this way. It seems better to us. It's more pious. It's more religious. Well, how thankful in light of that can't we be this morning? That God has instituted the supper for us and he's shown us how we ought to do it. Because we are people, sinful people who so easily and, and really so much want to add rites and rituals and traditions to things. We take what the Lord has given us and we think, well, if only we did it this way or that, we could probably make it better. It would be even more religious. It would it'd be even more meaningful that way to us. But we can be so thankful then for the direction taken by our Reformed fathers so many years ago in restoring this beautiful meal to its simplicity. To to what is basic to it. To what is true about it. And so let us take the bread and the wine this morning as he has commanded it to be done. Namely, in remembrance of Christ and what he's done for us. Finally, notice in verse 5 how the Israelites were going about their sacrifices they were burning leavened bread, we read, and then they, they brag about their free will offerings. They boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do. They were proclaiming their sacrifices for everyone else to hear. Look at what I am doing. But how can we claim anything for ourselves? We can't. Rather, we take the sacrament this morning in faith, in dependence, in, in trust in God. We place our faith in God to feed our souls by the the bread and the wine. We place our faith in Christ who has given himself up for us. We we don't point to ourselves. We point to him. When we lift up our hearts on high, then the Holy Spirit renews us and nourishes us in the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. How can we say, look at what I am doing? It's absurd. Look at what Christ has done for us. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim the Lord's death. We don't say, look at what I am doing. But we proclaim to the whole world, look at what He has done for us. Brothers and sisters, when we share in this meal together this morning, we're not only remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us, we're also proclaiming it. We're proclaiming it to each other and to the whole world, the death of Christ. We're proclaiming that he had a sinless life, that he endured cruel rejection by man, that he even endured the rejection of his heavenly and eternal Father in heaven, and that he gave up his life to save sinners, to save sinners like us. And we will continue to proclaim his death Until he comes. Brothers and sisters, when we put our hope and our faith and our love in Jesus Christ this morning, as we do that in worship, as we do that in the Lord's Supper, then be assured that that is worship. That is true worship. Amen. Amen.